Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include mortgage-backed security supply, my interview with Richie Mays, Seth Sprague on the servicing retained versus release decisions in the current environment, and what troubling news out of China means for rates. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. Among many awards, Richie May has been named a top 100 firm twice and is known in the market for their education and contributions to the mortgage industry. They don't just hire from the mortgage industry, they have the experts who build it. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit RichieMay.com. If I'm not borrowing money, the impact of higher rates isn't a big direct hit to my lifestyle or spending. But if I had a credit card from Kohl's paying 30%, it would sure dissuade me from buying something and putting it on layaway. Lowe's is at 28.99%, Nordstrom's is over 31%, and so on. With credit card debt moving above $1 trillion for the first time ever, something has to slow down, right? Lenders are selling servicing, further cutting costs, or making sure they collect money that's due them, like appraisal fees. Switching gears slightly, Wall Street traders report that they're seeing the supply of agent CMBS running between two and two and a half billion dollars a day. This number goes up and down, of course, but for a rough number, multiplying that by 250 business days in 2023 gives us much less than one trillion dollars. Throw in some non-agency, portfolio, arm, and bond production. Perhaps we'll clear $1 trillion for the year. As rates creep higher, more of the MBS pipeline is comprised of purchase loans, which are less sensitive to intraday rate moves. At these yields, it's fair to expect pipelines to show less negative convexity, as incremental rate changes will have less of an effect on rate locks and trigger less reprices. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Richie Mays, Seth Sprague, to talk about servicing retained versus release decisions and the current environment. He leads Richie Mays Mortgage Banking Consulting Services practice and also serves as a strategic leader for the entire Richie Mays suite of services, including profitability and operational reviews, strategic planning, mortgage servicing rights, strategy, retained versus release, and cash flow optimization. Drawing on more than 25 years of mortgage banking and mortgage servicing experience, Seth has invaluable expertise and a holistic perspective on the intersection of policy with economic and market conditions and its impact on the mortgage ecosystem. Can you talk to listeners about the importance of companies having a servicing asset on their balance sheets when it comes to their net worth if they're, if they're in the, the M&A uh, considerations and that sort of thing? What's, what's the benefit of having servicing on the book? Well, I mean, I think the big service, the big benefit of having servicing in the books for IMDs in the M&A space is that, you know, it is a, it, I mean, while it's an intangible asset for accounting purposes, it's a real tangible asset when it comes to mergers and acquisitions. I mean, there are customers, there's cash flows, and unlike originations with mortgage rates back above seven today and 10-year treasury, as people were texting me at 421, you know that the, it, it provides that balance to the origination side of the business 
and in essence accounts for the vast majority, and in some cases, all of the net worth of a company. And so you do get paid for that, much like an MSR sale as part of the M&A transaction, and that is a real tangible benefit to folks outside the fact that Robbie, and you, you and the listeners know as well, people are just desperate for the cash flows right now off of servicing, right? I mean, when you're looking at the origination side of the business, you're looking at some of the dysfunctionality in the TBA market. Uh, and on the pipeline side, where you're not making a lot of gains, servicing cash flows are critical in uh, helping keep many of these companies afloat at this point. Well, quick quick side note question here, because you mentioned the 10-year. and uh, Do you think we could see mortgage rates go up to an 8%? This year, do you think it would it would be where uh, spreads would have to compress, uh, and we we wouldn't see that just just due to there would be zero originations essentially? Um, you know, I'm really bad at predicting mortgage <laughs> rates as I am about predicting Super Bowl winners. But I mean, I, I feel like if we get to seven and a half percent on mortgage rates, we have to see this compression really start to occur. Because I I mean I know people smart people have said eight percent mortgages is where we need to hit before it comes back down. But I mean, that just feels like that spread at some point needs to compress. Um, but boy, there's a lot of, you know, how we'd be back here so quickly at 420 in the 10 year again. Can you explain to listeners quickly about how, sure, mortgage rates may be crazy high, but that doesn't necessarily mean those servicing multiples are going to be crazy high because people think that they will prepay quickly? Well, and let's bifurcate the market for a second. Um, and I'm going to put a shameless plug in here for Mr. Cooper's disclosures. But if 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 listeners out there want to look at low prepayment speeds, read some of the disclosures on Mr. Cooper. Um, their structural prepayment speeds just from payments are for CPR, meaning that without any voluntary prepayment speeds occurring, and voluntary prepayment speeds are sort of in that four to six CPR range, just from payments on those really seasoned, now 2020 20 and 2020 originations, the actual runoff on the UPB is about 10% a year. And so servicing fee income is actually starting to come down on those 20 and 2021 Uber low rate mortgages due to payments, and the little bit of prepayments that are occurring. So I personally think that that more seasoned servicing, and now, now I'm calling 20 and 2021 servicing season, um, sort of has topped out on its values, and there's really little upside left unless prepayment speeds just absolutely get to, you know, zero. And, you know, there's only so much value you're getting the float income. On the new originations, right, that stuff that's at 7% or 7.5% or 7.25%, you know, the buyers are expecting, you know, those to prepay um, quickly once rates do come down. And so the value that they're ascribing to the servicing cash flows isn't as strong as you would expect. And quite frankly, they bet that prepayment risk in there. Now, some of those buyers actually love prepayments and love recapture. So you sort of have the different sets of buyers out there, right? Are they a cash flow buyer or are they a recapture buyer? And they are uh, sort of behaving differently at this point as their their version of servicing values. Yeah, let's let's talk that seesaw for a second of kind of servicing appetite here. And does it all come down to uh, company by company personal choice in terms of well, on one end of the spectrum, we might have a a six and a half percent rate that that prepays 
in a year, but it's going to give you high returns versus you have a 3% 30-year fixed rate that probably isn't going to prepay for the next 5, 7, 10, maybe even more years, but you're going to get lower returns on that asset. How, how do companies weigh this calculation? Yeah, you're right on, Robbie. I mean, it is pretty much buyer-specific as to what they are, and I, and I kind of lump buyers of two massive groups, and by the time I say two, they'll probably be the third one. But the pure cash flow buyer, right, this is the entity that is in it for the servicing cash flows at the long duration, i.e. that that loan's to stick around and contribute cash flows for a long period of time. Those tend to be, you know, bank buyers, uh, maybe some of the REITs that are out there, right? They love that consistent servicing cash flow and low, low prepayment risk and quite frankly, fairly low default risk on that servicing. And then there's a whole other set of buyers that are buying that customer for that next origination, which is the recapture side. As you you know go through the public disclosures, you'll find some folks are much stronger at recapture than others. And so if you are good at recapture of runoff, you are sort of sort of more attracted to buying sort of that current coupon servicing that will be viewed as having uh, that, that prepayment uh, option here, hopefully uh, sometime in 2024, that you could get a, a better gain on sale and reset that customer. So it's almost sort of two sets of buyers and it comes down to what, what does their originations look like? What does their origination capacity look like? Do they even have originations? Or are they relying on their subservicer? In some cases, actually perform the recapture. And you are seeing those you know, sorts of set, different sets of buyers, whereas you know every MSR deal is going to be priced differently, not only to the counterparty, but then perceived repayment risk and then perceived recapture risk. The longer that we're in a high-rate environment, can you explain what that does to, to servicing values on both ends of the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, the longer we stay here in, in kind of this elevated rate environment, I think that that new loan is perceived to have even more risk of prepayments, which is one factor to that recapture buyer. What we're seeing now, and in some cases, is I will say entities that retain servicing strategically in 20 and 2021 and have enjoyed those servicing cash flows are starting to look at that value that's on the balance sheet and going, wow, I could really like to monetize that today. So you're actually seeing some, in some cases, I'd say some sellers that didn't sell initially are now being forced to sell or thinking about selling their servicing because we've been in this drag on origination earnings for so long. That they're kind of like, look, that servicing cash flow, as much as I like it every month, I really need that infusion of cash for whatever reason. Technology, loan officer recruitment, MA, I just want to delever the balance sheet. And so you're seeing actually some of the, the sellers change a little bit in this space. And you briefly alluded to it, but when it comes to MSR deals, what's been going on? What's the market like? What are you seeing? You know, it's funny because I was just talking to somebody uh, before this call. You know, you could read the public disclosures that are out there about, you know, particularly with a rocket or United Wholesale, as they continually sell servicing. It's public information. You could see that they have, you know, changed their structure of um, uh, on servicing. They actually have smaller balances on their UPP at the end of Q2 that they did earlier this year. You know, they're selling, monetizing servicing to help fund operations. 
those deals tend to be kind of out of the public scope, right? They're not through the broker community, the traditional broker space. Um, I will say that as I track broker public deals, you know, the volume's off a little bit this year, not materially, but it is off from 2022 levels. It's certainly still elevated from 2021 levels. But I, I, I'm, I think what the market's shifting to is a lot more of these kind of private placement deals where the larger originators are just able to sell servicing um, directly. And then the other piece that we're seeing a lot of is on the co-issue side. And I know you see this at, at your firm as well. A lot more people using sort of the automated solutions, right? Whether it's fading the S&P, pretty much Coalition Express. There's other solutions out there. There's some broker-driven solutions on that technology side of matching uh, buyers and sellers of the co-issue space. So the market really is changing as to how deals are being brought to market. And it is a little bit more technology-driven, particularly on the co-issue side. Obviously, this question is a big oversimplification, so I apologize in advance, but how are you advising clients in general? What's What's been some some tips you've been giving out lately? Uh, Robbie, most of my time on clients is actually spent on trying to help them identify on this retained release decision, the risks that they are keeping in their services portfolio. And you hear best execution, you hear, well, you know, the bid here is X, and if I retain it, it's Y. What I find a lot of times is that that MSR value that's being assigned to that best execution is not as sharp as what the aggregators or co-issue buyers are telling you. And I, I hate to say this, but some people are retaining the wrong servicing. Though. They're retaining too much risk. They're retaining, uh, I will say they're getting kind of this false positive of selling this and keeping that. And if somebody isn't kind of going behind the seeds and checking it, they're sort of creating an illiquid servicing portfolio that could actually cash flow very poorly for them if they're retaining servicing. So most of my time today is trying to help people identify those risks up front on servicing cash flows, on potential delinquencies, and making sure that if they're going to retain it, that they're aware of the risks that they're retaining versus maybe them. Well, it's my turn for the shameless plug here. So if somebody wants to start retaining a better portfolio and they want to get in touch with you, what are the best next steps? Uh, you know, just to reach out. I mean, obviously, you know, address is S-P-R-A-G-U-E at RichieBay.com. You call myself, 303-889-9332. I walk them through, I will say, a grinding process of thinking about risks. And what I find as I walk people through this is that, they're sort of aware at one level of the risk, but they haven't quantified those risks. And it creates some of those aha moments of we maybe we need to change our strategy here about what we're retaining. Very well put. Seth, appreciate the time as always, and uh, look forward to seeing you at the Western Secondary. Looking forward to seeing you, Robbie. Uh, safe travels, and I uh, will see you next week. In terms of bonds and interest rates, troubling economic news out of China dominated headlines yesterday with slowdowns in consumer spending, industrial output, and investments, while unemployment in the country ticked higher. The People's Bank of China cut rates on its medium-term lending facility by 15 basis points to 2.5%, the steepest cut in three years, while dropping short-term policy rates by about 10 basis points. The move suggests elevated concerns from Chinese officials about the slowing economy in the face of a resurging real estate crisis. 
Once again, U.S. Treasury rates increased yesterday, which is somewhat perplexing as weakness in China will send a disinflationary pulse throughout the world. Commodity consumption falling and credit issues should cause a flight to safety. Domestically, Fitch warned that even the largest U.S. banks will have their ratings reevaluated if the agency downgrades the sector from A plus to double A minus. The warning comes just a week after Moody's cut the ratings of ten small to mid-sized U.S. banks, placed four banks on watch for potential downgrades, lowered the outlook for eleven lenders, and warned that big banks could face rating action soon. Mortgage applications from MBA kicked off today's economic calendar, decreasing 0.8% from one week earlier. Activity was expected to remain subdued as mortgage rates moved higher following the increased quarterly refunding and inflation reports. Later today brings July housing starts and building permits, July industrial production and capacity utilization, as well as the minutes from the July 25th and 26th FOMC meeting. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Tuesday afternoon, the 10-year yielding 4.19 after closing yesterday at 4.22%, and the 2-year at 4.92%. Let's wrap up with the joke and some housekeeping. A young pastor had an 80-year-old lady in his church from whom he frequently sought counsel as she was a very wise person. He had a sermon topic that he was struggling with and went by her home to chat. She invited him in and asked what he wanted to discuss. Do you ever think about the hereafter? He asked. To which she replied, oh yes, several times a day. The pastor was somewhat surprised and followed with the question, why so frequently? And she said, sometimes when I go from the den to the kitchen, I ask myself, what am I hereafter? Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services to the mortgage industry for almost four decades. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.